0: G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music, and more. I'm John Merch. Our feature guest today is Tom Wolf of the Wolf Brothers. Before we head into that conversation, thanks very much for your feedback of the last episode, which was with jazz singer Cynthia Toro from the Northern Hemisphere. And of the genre of which our guest today comes from, that of country, our conversations we had with Andrew Ferris talking about railways and Emily Hatton speaking about her up and coming rise in the country music scene. Let's head into today's feature guest.
1: The Wolf Brothers, out of Tasmania, are the result of four generations of farming and musicians with their own debut album, It's On, arriving in 2013, to now, seven years on, their latest single, No Breaks. Numerous golden guitars, including for Album of the Year, Apra Amcos Song of the Year, and other sought-after categories. As well, they've recently joined the BMG stable of artists globally. Their latest tune is about going full steam ahead, tapping in musically to pub rock as they do so. One of the brothers, Tom Wolfe, joins Radio Notes now for an extended chat.
2: Tom Wolfe, welcome to Radio Notes.
3: Mate, it's great to be on. Thanks so much for having me. In
2: 2019, you did have Song of the Year, Ain't Seen It Yet, and such a glorious, uh, a literal song as well.
3: Yeah, you're right. It is a very literal song, and um, it's actually... It's probably not something we normally do and often you know often in country music and songwriting you know song titles have a almost a double meaning phrase might have another uh, you know double meaning that kind of thing we don't think, it yet it came really simple we were sitting in Nashville we are on a songwriting trip and like it's so beautiful over there and I love it there but you know I'm very lucky to have grown up on a beautiful family farm and I'm very proud to be from Tassie and very proud of my history and my family and you know, we're sitting in this car in Nashville and we're like, geez, you know, this is so beautiful over here. We're saying how great it is. And then when saying that, you know, we were like, I think I was sitting in the back seat and I might have said, yeah, but it's not as good as home. You know, if there's anything better? I ain't seen it yet. And then we were just like, oh, oh, that's what we're writing. We're writing that song. <laughs> yeah, we literally wrote that song in that afternoon. It probably took about 40 minutes and it was literally, like you listen to it. It's listening things, you know. It's like, it's not the most complicated song we've ever written. I mean, like, the opening line is, Round Here We Get High in Cascade Blue, you know. <laughs> like, it's not exactly, uh, it's not the White Album by the Beatles or something, you know. I think it was really interesting. It just came really naturally, and that line, Round Here We Get High in Cascade Blue, is the first line you hear on the Country Heart album. It was the first thing we released. It was a real change of pace, and I think it was a really, really smart move. I think, you know, we nearly changed. I was so scared to change that line. I wanted to change the line around here we get Iron Cascade Blues to, to something else. And I remember playing on it for weeks, thinking what else it would be, because I was so worried people wouldn't understand that Cascade's the brewery down here in southern Tasmania. But anyway, at the end of the day, we just decided we, we couldn't find anything better. So we stuck with it. And I'm glad we do. It's, um, it's kind of like it's this bizarre thing, the song almost hinges off it and we go play in Townsville, you know, the other side of Australia and people are yelling out around here, we get iron Casco Blue. I mean, you can't even get Casco Blue in the North of Tasmania, <laughs> you know, let alone there. So yeah, it interesting man. It was very, uh, I'm very proud of that song. I love that song. And I, I still love playing it live.
2: Uh, keeping in mind that the Beatles also wrote Googie Goo 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 from memory as well.
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, they, uh, yeah, they, they, they threw it out there. They threw it all out there. <laughs> That's
2: right. We're going to get back to Tasmania a lot throughout this conversation. That album, by the way, is called Country Heart. Another cut which I particularly liked off the album was called Storm Rolling In. And, and yet again, you really have that picturesque kind of idea of exactly where you are, your kind of country, not just Australian country, but that of Tasmania as well through that song Storm Rolling In. Is that an Australian song or is that Nashville again?
3: We write in Nashville and the reason we probably go over there and write is because, like, it's the type of town you can go to and, and work with, like, we, we work with co-writers, you see, so, like, me and Nick might go in and write with one other person and we do that just to keep it, fresh between us being brothers you can really easily just you know sort of argue and fry out but also like you know we'll write two or three songs a day and we'll go for three four weeks and come home with like 50 songs then we'll go through them all again and just start chipping them away so it's a really good way to it's a good work ethic over there yeah storm rolling in you know thinking about writing that we're drawing off this beautiful state that i live in you know i love it i love Getting away camping up the high country in Tasmania and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's when I'm even though I wasn't wasn't written in Australia or in Tassie, like when I'm writing that stuff, I I always have to put myself in a place, and I, and it's always either home or it's in Tassie somewhere, and it just seems to come out in the songs.
2: To actually be away from home, to be away from something you care so much about, when you miss it or when you have a sense of longing, you actually can connect even deeper to it.
3: Absolutely, you know. I think a great example of that is Peter Allen. I still call Australia home. I think he spent most of his life living abroad, but I mean, I think I still call Australia home. It's one of the most beautiful songs written. Exactly that. I think he was in living in America when he wrote it. So there is something about missing your home and missing where you're from, and and. Missing the place that you know as well. I, I'm very comfortable at home. I, I've you know I know my neighbours. I know all my mates, and it's still like a small town. I can go to the local shop, and they know me, and I know them, and that, that sort of connection stuff with people is really nice. And when you get away from that, and you don't know anybody. I, that really makes you miss. That really makes you miss home even more.
2: What is the experience like for those that co-write with the Wolf Brothers?
3: Well, well, hopefully they have, at a bare minimum, fun to home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been really fun. We've sort of done it enough now that we have a few people we go back and work with. There's about four or five guys that we continuously work with now because I think we get them and they get us. I mean, it doesn't always work. Sometimes you write something with people and you just you just not don't connect and you're not on the same wavelength. And, you know, we wrote with... Uh, this the last trip we did, last last songwriting trip, we tried a lot of new writers. And, you know, a lot of these guys were, uh, were, a lot of these guys, great people, but, you know, they were like pop writers or maybe it was like, or there was one guy who was like a Christian artist. And we just weren't on the same wavelengths when it came to how we want our songs to be, <laughs> you know. So that didn't work. But I think people get out of it. I think they get a fun time out of it. And um, I think they get a sense of us out of it, you know. We're pretty... I am especially wearing my heart on the sleeve type of guy, you know. I I need to, writing a song, I need to sort of be thinking about that situation or, you know, where I've been in my life when I can relate to that. I find that's how I write the best songs. If I think about, put myself in that time and place in my life, then then I can write that. I, I find like, I'll always like, I'm a Beatles fanatic and I listen to some of their writing and the way they can tell stories that aren't real, you know. I really find that hard to write songs like that. I keep trying, but I just can't. I can't do it, <laughs> which is good because I, I think the way we write is it just comes from our heart. I think people see that, and I think they connect with that. I think that's why we're doing okay, you know. I think people can see it's coming from the right place.
2: Because as you clearly stated, your own brother, you kind of know each other a little bit too well, but to have someone there who can crack the code and put a few letters between those gaps, I, I just find that...
3: Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. so amazing. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's absolutely. And, you know, me and Nick are brutally honest. You know, in awkward situations in life, you can be nice to people and kind of grit your way through it. Well, me and Nick, that filter's gone. We're just, like, straight into each other and... um we're not like Noel and Liam Gallagher, but we're brutally honest. And we've got people over there now who get where I'm coming from and get where Nick's coming from. And you're right, they, they just it's really great. I, I, the way I write songs is it's everything. I'm a pretty outward guy, you know. I mean, everything's out. I love people. I love talking to people. I've connected with people. So I'm, all my ideas tend to come out whether I like them or not. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it works. It's, whatever's happening, it's working.
2: Let's talk about one other collaboration before we move on to some uh, matters of the heart and home and those other key issues that we like to cover on the show. Damn Good Mates is a song you did with a guy called Lee Kernigan Are you mates?
3: Yeah, we are. We're we've one of our best mates. This is amazing. He saw us many, many moons ago when we entered the reality TV world and went on Australia's so Got Talent. He was in a place in his career when I think he was looking for some new people to work with, he was looking for a new band and he saw us on the T V show and went, Wow, who are these guys? I want to meet these guys and I got a phone call one day and I was like, hey, this is Lee We went up to Sydney and we actually did an audition to be his band and we, we learned a bunch of Lee songs. He walked in the studio, we were all set up, we played one song and then he was like, Yeah, that's it fellas, you've got the job. Yeah, then we've pretty much spent the best part of eight years recording, writing, touring He's been one of our biggest supporters since day one, you know. I mean, he took us on the road. He put us out as his opening act every night. He has been in our corner since day one and an amazing guy. And when we came to do that album, we'd had a big list of duets of things we could do together. And he was dead set that we had to do Damn Good Mates together. And um, that was really special. Been through a lot together and um, he really is our Damn Good Mate. And I, I love him. Love him very much. And he's just incredible work ethic and learnt... So much from him over the years that uh, i be be forever grateful.
2: We're currently in conversation with Tom Wolf of the Wolf Brothers. We said we'd go back to family. We're gonna go way back. What was it like growing up with Mum Lee and Father Malcolm?
3: It was great, you know. Like it was honestly, it was so good. We had a we had such a great life. You know, I, I loved the summers and the farm was just the best. We'd play cricket until it was dark, you know. We'd be in backyard cricket matches till, you know, 10 o'clock some night. But, you know, we got the farm here, so there'd always be backpackers staying on the farm, picking. You know, these backpackers would become friends, people from all over the world, you know. We'd have people from France and Germany and England. It was incredible, you know. And and Dad was dad worked really hard, you know. Dad was like the the breadwinner. He had the farm. He had a full-time job and he did gigs as well. You know, he, he was, a, was a worker. You know, if Dad was sitting down during the day, there was something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you, went, if you went inside during the day and Dad was sitting down, you'd be like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, incredible. And Mum's just so beautiful. Mum was amazing. She uh, played so much music in the house which was such a great thing, you know, there's always music on. And Dad was in a band, you know, but Mum, just growing I can remember my really early years, you know, and like she would went out and bought me all the Beatles movies, you know, when I was a kid. Now, they're not really the greatest movies ever made, but that music got in me and I still love it now. So growing up, I really had the best life. And as I've got older, you know, hindsight's like that, I guess, you. Yeah you realise how lucky you were, you know, and how good you had it, you know. And I often think with the world and all the stresses of life, I think, oh, it's got to be good to just go back.
2: (laughs) What was one of those first Beatles movies that you thought there was something in the future in that?
3: Um, I loved Help. I still love the Beatles movie Help. I love that album. That to me is just, I think it's one of their best. People often rave about, and I do too, don't get me wrong, you know, about uh, Rubber Soul and about Sergeant Pepper. But I don't know, that help album, they really, you can hear in the songwriting, there was a the level of maturity started to show. I mean, you've got things like yesterday. I mean, help, help is a John Lennon kind of making a cry for, for help, basically. Yeah, them albums and that, them songs, they just got in the, you know, then they're just so catchy. Ticket to Ride, I mean, how good is Ticket to Ride? That is just such a great melody, you know. I um, wish I'd written just one of them.
2: (laughs) It's always bad to choose favourites like choosing children, I guess, but uh, Uh, of the four, which one?
3: I'm all about Paul. I mean, that's why I play bass. Watching Paul play bass, I was like, man, that's cool. That that really got me interested, wanting to be a bass player, seeing him sort of do that. And I think he says, you know, I'm quite a – as you can't tell, I love his chat. I'm quite an outgoing guy, you know, and sort of watch that and watch him sort of singing as well, because often bass players are just up the back and just hiding away. Yeah, that that is not me. <laughs> that is not me at all, basically. All that Paul.
2: How do you feel Paul is in his career now? He really hasn't lost it.
3: Oh, mate, I mean, he's still showing the world that he's one of the best songwriters. I think his best work was probably definitely done, you know, in the latest career of the Beatles and going into his wing stuff was probably when he was writing his best songs. But I mean, me and my wife went and saw him live in Melbourne probably two, I think it was three years ago, two years ago. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. We, me and my wife, Ali, we laugh about it because I didn't cry the day I got married, but when I saw Paul McCartney played Blackbird, I cried. <laughs> Ooh. She was like, are you serious? She's like, He didn't even cry when we got married. Oh, my, it's Paul McCartney! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, now the world knows that.
2: Just to give you a, a little bit of cred, when you've been together as long with Ali as you have with Paul McCartney's music, then you'll also cry.
3: Absolutely. You know what it was when I think about it. I think it was like it took me back to them early years. I lost my dad about six months before that, and. You know, I think about my dad playing me those songs and, and, you know, the old vinyl, he had the vinyls. He'd say things like, this is the best music you'll ever hear. And I think about mum playing it. It just transports me to a really happy, simple time in my life when I hear that music. And I think um, that's what music does. So I think, you know, I got very caught up in the moment, which is what live music's about. And I just was i was completely lost in the moment watching that happen. And no regrets at all, it was uh that's what music does to
2: it. I did say your father's name was Malcolm.
3: Yeah, dad, Malcolm. Yeah, his nickname was, just as a drummer, his nickname was Mildew Wolf, believe ah, it or not. So, I, yeah. I, I,
2: I had Milford down.
3: That's <laughs> right. They called him uh, Mildew Wolf. And it came, this nickname for dad came from uh, an old, there must have been a cartoon years and years ago called um, Mildew Wolf or something. Mildew the werewolf or something. And anyway, the local paper down here in Tassie, when Dad was a bit of a you know, man around town, he sort of had the number one band for a while. They did this big cartoon of my dad drawn up as a werewolf. The name Mildew just stuck in forever.
2: You did get a chance to play as the Wolf family orchestra. This sounds like it was before then.
3: Yeah, so um with our family there's there's four generations of, of music and there's four generations of farming. So Dad had a band called Midnight Revival. He played in that for 45 years of his life. Me and Nick used to play in Dad's band from time to time. We'd do some gigs with Dad. And then my father, Malcolm, and his brother, Tony, and his mum and dad had the Wolf Family Orchestra. So they would do town hall dances. And they'd be sort of doing, like, waltzy stuff. And, you know, this would be kind of like early 60s. You know, they'd be doing waltzy sort of songs and... Um, My grandfather was a bit of a, I never got to meet him, unfortunately, but he was a bit of an entrepreneur. He he used to do the bus run for the school as well as have the farm. What he'd do is he'd pick people up on the bus, he'd charge them to get on the bus, he'd charge people to go to the town hall, he'd then do the gig, he'd charge them to get home and when they were going home, he'd sell them illegal moonshine he'd made on the bus. (laughs) (laughs) So he was a... He was a bit of an entrepreneur, my granddad. But he loved his music, loved his music. And it's just always been a part of the family, you know. There's always been interest around. There's just always been you play music in some capacity. That was always the thought, whether it be what we're doing now, like as the Wolf Brothers are doing as a full-time thing, or whether it be, you know, you're playing weekend gigs or whatever. It was always just normal in our household. to You would you would be doing music in some way. I mean, I started playing in the pubs when I was 13, 14.
2: And what was that? Connection? Did you see growing up between Malcolm and Lee?
3: You know, when you're young, you don't quite see. It, but as I as I got older, I sort of saw this connection in the way Dad. You know, he was a, you know, he's a, he's a bit of an older school type of guy. You know, he wouldn't, um, you know, he, he wasn't he, the most. Oh, I don't want to say he wasn't loving because that's not fair.
2: Is the word affectionate that you're looking for? Maybe not as yeah, affectionate? words
3: affectionate I'm looking. for, Yeah, yeah, and you know, he, he wasn't quite like that, but. Um, the way he, you know, it was really amazing. I can mean, remember moments, you know, when he was young. And he, The way he showed his love, as I now know in hindsight, he worked. He worked for, he just to give us everything we needed, you know. And um, I can remember mum had this old Mitsubishi Magna for like 15 years, you know, and it was like, you know, it had come to the end of its life, you know, and it was like blowing smoke and, you know, it was dead. And I remember he worked really hard and he got mum a new car and he was just like, so proud of that because you know he, he was able to provide together a new car and it was really great there was this beautiful bond you know between them and yeah yeah i miss him very much but um i've still got my mum so that's uh so that's good she, she'll outlive us all i reckon
2: <laughs> you grew up on a small berry farm that's the same farm we're speaking about is it that's been around since 1899 mind you
3: yeah, yeah. My great-grandfather, George Woolf bought the property in 1899. I think he bought it for something like 15 pounds or something, you know, something really like nothing, uh, which would have been a lot back then. And yeah, this has been in our family for that long. We've still got the farm. We've still got a shop on the farm where we sell our fruit during the fruit season. Being in this COVID-19 pandemic lockdown, I've been spending my last few weeks just working on the farm, doing jobs, doing all them gunner jobs that I should be doing. It's been amazing. It's been the best place to grow up. You know, we used old Pickers Huts as our rehearsal space. We had 40 acres of berries, of of bush, of uh, creeks, of dams to just do what we wanted to do. So um, it was the most amazing, amazing place to grow up. I'd come home from school in the afternoon and I'd often just go down the bush and light a fire and I mean keep in mind I'm 10 years old <laughs> you know and Mama just you know about tea time mum would be yelling out the window come on come up to tea and very very lucky and we still got it and we're still running the farm and I'm trying to uh, bring the farm into the next generation and uh, make it something that uh, making something that people can all uh, get to experience a little bit more so uh, yeah we're, we're working on it hard.
2: For you to take it into the next generation would be a conversation you need to have with Ali. How's that going? Where are you
3: at? Oh no, we're going well. Ali Ali loves it. She, um when we live down here on the farm and she loves it. On the topic I can't sit still, so I've got to be doing stuff. So uh she knows what I'm like. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'll often have these ideas at ten o'clock at night, Oh, I should do this, you know, and I'll start writing out things she just shakes her head. But no, she loves it. She loves it down here and um yeah, she's been down here on the farm with us for five years and it's, it's our home now, you know, So, uh, which is really great. We're really excited to the next generation when we have kids that, that'll that get to grow up here and experience the way we did, which is um, really exciting.
2: Four or five years ago, was that proposition not on the table?
3: Um, four or five years, yeah, yes and no. Like, you know, I was really scared of um, the idea of having a family because I've been so um, band focused for so many years, you know. I, Need to do the band. I need to do this, and I think you know. Now I've got a bit older. I'm really comfortable with the idea of, of wanting to be a dad. I think I, I think I'd be a pretty good dad. Something I definitely want to do. And um, you know, even just talking about all this stuff today, talking about the upbringing I had, yeah, I think they'll they're going to get a beautiful place to grow up, which is going to be really special.
2: How's the dog family going?
3: Good. So I've got three dogs down here. I've actually got Nick's old farm dog. Nick worked on a and cattle station for a little while and he had an actual proper working dog. Now, he's 16. He's completely deaf. His name's Tippi. I've got an old German shepherd. That was Ali's when we first met. So when I met Ali, I got Ali and the dog. She is uh, nearly 12 years old and she's all grey and she's going blind. So those two dogs are very old and were slowing up. So we thought, well, let's get a little pup to try and breathe a little bit of life back into them. So we found a from a, a mate's farm up in the Midlands of Tasmania, had a Kelpie slash Hound dog. And he's just over one years old. And true to my love of the Beatles, I've called him Ringo. And he is a bloody menace of a dog, so let me tell you. But he's beautiful. We love him. You know, wherever I go on the farm, the three of them just follow me. So I walk over this one side of the paddock, they all come. So it's great. It's like having an audience all day long.
2: <laughs> what kind of conversations do you have with those three?
3: Uh, normally it's trying to stop Ringo tormenting the older two dogs. <laughs> but um, I talk to them all day, you know, I tell them what I'm doing. And I love dogs. There's no lying in a dog, you know. They either like you or they don't. Let you know if someone's around and... I love that, you know, I love that, and they're so affectionate, and they just want a bit of love, and uh, I've always grown up with dogs, and cats, you know, I've got cows here, I've got sheep here, I love I love animals, I really love animals. I nearly bought some emus recently, but I, I backed out of that decision at the last minute.
2: If I bought an emu, I'd feel like I need to buy a kangaroo just to have the whole coat of arms series. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's right. Oh, I've got plenty of kangaroos here. I got kangaroos for endless days here, and I got uh, a few wombats. You even see a few tassie devils get on the farm every now and then. I'm actually getting old because I love all that stuff now. I, I I appreciate it a lot more I did than when I was younger. A lot of beauty in the bush, I reckon. I, I just love it. The more I travel, and the more gigs I do, the more I yearn you know, to come back to it. You know, does that make sense? I um I really miss it. I feel very comfortable in it. So um. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's truly beautiful. I think the Australian wildlife and, and, and bush is just some of the most beautiful stuff you'll ever see in your life.
2: A little birdie tells me you like hunting as well, which would be the opposite, admiring wildlife.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I do, I do. I like I like, I like hunting, but I, I'm a big believer that if you're going to hunt, then you need to respect the animal. You need to do... I would never kill anything for the sake of killing something, you know, where I think it's ridiculous, you know. I... Um, you know, if I kill a kangaroo here, well, I'll actually make a pelt out of it, and I'll actually eat it, or I'll feed it to dogs. And same with deer. So I, so I eat meat, and I'm I'm believing If you're going to eat meat, you you got to respect the process. So I have um, I have sheep here, which you know we, we will um we'll eat it. We'll grow our own lamb here, and um, again I I respect that process. You know, if you're going to uh, eat meat, I I look after the sheep. I feed them. I make sure they're well fed and they've got a great life and when we do uh, slaughter them I make sure it's very peaceful and they don't even know it happens. But I'm a big believer in that sort of stuff you know I, I don't like animal cruelty.
2: Tom I, I'd really like if you don't mind to talk us to a little bit more about that process because obviously it's not the joy of hunting.
3: I, I've been um, blasted before by people you know oh how can you hunt how can you do this you know and as they're saying that they're eating a chicken burger and I'm like well hang on for me it's about respecting that process and it's about um you know like even with with all this COVID-19 stuff I um I've been doing a little bit more hunting but again I've been I've been cooking the kangaroo I'm making mince out of it and um, doing all that sort of stuff you know and really come back to trying to provide a much more for ourselves you know and it's the same I, I grow obviously I grow berries I grow a lot of potatoes when my dad died and I sort of the range of the farm, a big goal for me was, you know, I want to sit down at Christmas lunch and I want everything on my plate to be, I've grown it, you know, or made it, carrots, the potatoes, the, the roast lamb, and I've done that. And that, I think that's a really cool feeling and almost like that's what we've done for thousands of years. You know, there's obviously people out there that ruin it for everybody, but if you respect the process and respect the animal, I think it's a good thing to do. Someone said to me once, I said, Daddy, write a good song. I said, well, grow a patch of spuds. <laughs> and they were like, what? So I was like, well, you know, if, you, if you've never grown a patch of spuds, you know, this, this, you're creating something, you know. You, you work the dirt, you, you know, you, you you look after it, you care for it, you grow it, you, you feed it what it needs to be fed, and then you harvest it. I think there's something really, I don't know, I don't know what it is. It's like really animalistic, that providing thing that I really love. You know, I love doing it. I love growing things. You know, I've been planting all different fruit here. I've been planting lots of different plum trees and, and, and stuff like that because, you know, I love that. I think if you're going to plant a tree, you should plant a tree that you can harvest some fruit off. To. So I love that process of not wasting and using what you've got to survive. I think it's really cool. Something more recent in the last few years, but you know, growing my own food, hunting my own food. And, um, yeah, so I think it's, I'm trying not to waste, not trying not to waste anything basically.
2: What's your biggest tip in terms of gardening? You hear a lot about the four plots, turn them around, all that kind of stuff. But from you, Tom.
3: Well, um, uh, look, I've still got a lot to learn, don't get me wrong. Um, biggest gardening tip would be one thing we've spent weeks upon weeks upon months doing down here is putting in good watering. Growing raspberries, for example, they love water over the summer. So we've been putting in big irrigation systems. And also the other big thing we've had to do down here is wallaby wire. We've got plagues of wallabies. So every part of our farm is nearly completely wallaby proof now, which is really good. Just planned out a new patch of raspberries and trying not to use chemicals, so using uh, like natural blood and bone fertilizer on on all of our stuff. And yeah, I'm looking out the window at them right now as I'm talking to you and they seem to be going really well. The
2: last person we spoke to in Tasmania was the wonderful Claire Ann Taylor. You may know of her music and she started gardening as well. So obviously those lush soils that you guys are lucky to have down there. Let's move on back to music briefly and what artists in Tasmania should we be keeping an eye out for?
3: One guy, if you're not aware of, a guy called Christopher Coleman is an incredible talent, incredible songwriter, I'm lucky to be his friend. I actually started doing as a bit of a side project, again, to bring it back to the Beatles, we started doing the odd Beatles tribute show where a bunch of Tasmanian musicians just get together and pick a Beatles album learn all the parts and play it live. And Chris is one of the guys I've been doing that with and Chris is just so talented, such a great songwriter, very much underrated. Another one's a guy called Scott Target who has a which would people wouldn't think I'd like. It has a it's like a dance pop act called Roboticus, which is fantastic. Another great one is Ted Pickett, who's a fantastic singer songwriter. There's a lot of talent down here. And like everything in life, it doesn't probably get the um, exposure that it probably should from time to time. Yeah, you don't have to look too far to find many talented acts down here. Clinton Hutton is another fantastic uh, artist who's at the northwest of the state. We try and actually get, if it's possible, get these guys when we play in Tassie to open our shows, you know, and get them involved. And that's important to us. That's really important to us. You know, I'm very open to what I'm listening to. I think the whole genre thing, I think that is getting less and less. There's there's good songs and then there's bad songs, you know. I, you a know, normal day to me, I can listen to something like roboticus, and then I could listen to Willie Nelson, and then I could listen to Stones, and you know, then I could listen to a top forty playlist or something, you know. There's, and I think it's good as a songwriter. I'm trying to keep my, my very open-minded to what's, what's happening and what I'm listening to.
2: In terms of the Wolf Brothers music, you've recently signed to, I believe, BMG. Do they give you a sense that you need to be a particular kind of genre or does that recording deal allow you to be the Wolf Brothers, however that may come out?
3: They've been really supportive of what we're doing. They definitely say, look, this is what we think will work best. But there's also, there's no rules. There's, you know, I always get scared with record companies. <laughs> getting involved and saying, oh, you need to do this, you need to say this, you need to look like this, where they really haven't been like that. Look, you know, we've written a bunch of stuff for this next album and there's some of the most country stuff I've ever written and then there's some of the most non-country stuff I've ever written. And, yeah, they've just been really supportive about the whole process. But They're all about putting the artist first and putting the art first. And if they do that and look after the artist first, then hopefully everything else will follow how it should. It feels great to be a part of the team. It was really great to be a part of the team. and um, Yeah, it's good to have No Breaks out, you know. It's, it's different to what was done, but it's fun and it's I think it's a positive song and I think um, it's kind of what the world needs right now.
2: <laughs> well, let's briefly talk about No Breaks, the film clip, and particularly, I guess, a link into the Daytona line, which is in that particular song. <laughs> when did you first yeah. play Daytona?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, there was a Daytona machine in uh, our Fern Tree pub up the road, but the true story behind that is, yeah, I'll see Daytona and them Talladega Nights. That that actually <laughs> is so embarrassing. We watched Talladega Nights' as Will Ferrell the night before we wrote <laughs> No Break. Right? Not bad ideas when it comes to songwriting, you know, and especially coming out of an album, Country Heart, where we wrote such an emphasis on our family, on our dad and on our farm. We were really in a place of just writing whatever and being as fun and positive as we can. So... um, Songs can come from everywhere, and uh, yeah, that's that's definitely where No Brakes has come from. We wanted this loop video to have a real like Daytona cruising USA vibe. We used to play that when we were kids, and we wanted it to have sort of neon vibe to it. So uh, yeah,
2: it's fun. It's really cool. Dash of Guitar Hero thrown in for good measure as well. When
3: you're at, yeah. Tre- yes. <laughs> you at the Fern Tree, yes. When you're at the Fern Tree Hotel,
2: what was your highest Daytona score? Or do we need to go to the other uh, game for that?
3: I can't remember what my high score was. You know, I was only telling someone this about this other day how much the world has changed. You know, I can remember being the Daytona machine sat in the bar. This is going back to when you could smoke inside the pub. and I can remember my dad, this is so bad, giving me a $10 note and going, go up to the bar and say, you want a packet of Winfield blue <laughs> cigarettes and bring them over here to me. And I would have been fixed or something, and I walked over like, excuse me, can I have that? It was, and they're like, oh, they see your dad, are they, mate? Are they see your dad? I'm like, yeah, yeah. They like, here you go, take him over to your dad. Here's the change. I thought, wow, man, we've come a long way as a society, haven't we?
2: Back in the day, they would have looked over to your father, and he would have given them a wink or a nudge. Right,
3: yeah, it's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Just to go back to them Daytona machines, they're still out there. Like, you know, often on the road, you know, we're walking around many different towns and you might see an arcade. And you walk past an arcade, there's always a Daytona machine in there. And they're in pubs and little milk bars. I was in, um, I can't remember where we were. Maybe it was in, oh, it was in WA in Bunbury. We were just on town check and we'd gone to walk to get some tea. And I think we walk into like a kebab house. And there was a Daytona machine and an Indiana Jones pinball machine. You know, they're still out there and they're like 20 years old. Whoever made them, invented them and owns the rights then would be a trillionaire by now, I reckon. What
2: other games did you enjoy playing?
3: We were all about, we had the Super Nintendo and we were all about Donkey Kong Country 2. Oh my God, we played that so much when we were kids. To the point of, Nick has one of the songs out of Donkey Kong Country 2. So he has that as his ringtone now. To this day, isn't that amazing? Yeah, still got the Super Nintendo. We never threw them out. Still got an Atari as well somewhere at home. Yeah, love Donkey Kong. Just love that type of game. It's like a bit adventurous, but not too real. I, I don't game or anything now. I, find I just can't. I, maybe I don't have the patience or something for it, but it's not my thing now. But um,
2: Maybe you've got something more productive to do, like a farm.
3: Yeah, well, that's probably true. Every now and then, though, I will play a little bit of Mario Kart. I've always said, you know, when, when, I'm not saying if we, I'm saying when we get successful enough to have our own bus and we're touring Canada and the States in a bus, I want to have Mario Kart on the bus. I think that would be really cool. I like the idea of finishing a gig, getting on the bus, having a couple of wind down drinks, playing Mario Kart. I think that could be pretty cool.
2: What has been one of your favourite moments on the road?
3: We've got a song called Hey Brother, which we wrote after meeting a lot of veterans. There's been some incredible moments through that song which have attracted a lot of veterans and servicemen and women to come to shows and meet us. And Some of the moments of meeting some of them men and women and hearing what that song has meant to them, that's been really special. Like Even on Anzac Day, I had a few of these men and women ringing me their day and you know they've been getting drunk and I had a few ringing me about eight o'clock at night and I've been pretty drunk and I'm like, hey mate, we're listening to a, brother we're listening to... <laughs> you know and stuff like that has really cool I really really enjoyed the last tour we did which is the No Sad Song Tour I felt the band was just playing the best it's ever played we were just really in sync with each other you know some nights we'd just jam out on certain songs for, for five minutes and it was just Oh, it was some of the most fun I've had on stage. So there are a few that definitely come to mind. But I've been in so many amazing moments that I just sort of sometimes have to sit back and go, wow, I'm doing this right now. This is, you know, like in Tamworth recently, we played a Joy McKean, who was Slim Dusty's wife. It was her 90th birthday. We were one of the special guests that played there. And we played with Lee and straight after Paul Kelly and Don Walker. And I'm sort of standing side of stage and Paul Kelly and Don Walker come down and they're standing there shaking our hands, having a chat, and I'm like, wow. Standing here with Lee Kernigan, Paul Kelly, and Don Walker, and Cole Chisel. like this is, this is a pretty cool moment. Moments like that, I just sort of go, oh, how did I get here? I have written some of it down, but I wish I'd written more of it down. because Lots of stuff. There's little bits and pieces I forgot over the years, and I wish I'd kept on it more.
2: It sounds very much like a farm, a sort of a changing of the guard that will happen in the next 5, 10, 20 years between those gentlemen and yourself?
3: Yeah, I hope so. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, even to just be considered of that is an incredible thing. You know, I, their music is some of the stuff that's shaped our lives, shaped our band. Incredible songwriters, great people, and um, really honoured.
2: When you get a chance to go camping, what does camping mean to you?
3: There's a couple of little spots we go that we really love in Tassie. One is a spot down in Bruni, Cloudy Bay Beach. Now, to get to this camping spot, you've got to travel. Bruni Island is a little island off Tasmania, Just for those people who don't know. And to get to this camping spot, you have to have four-wheel drive. You've got to travel along the beach for about two or three kilometres, and then it's a little bit of a four-wheel drive track, and it gets you up on top of the hill, and it's just the most amazing spot to camp there, and camping for us is really simple. Like We don't even take a tent. We just take a swag we just have a big double swag that we have. I'll take the chainsaw and just some really basic stuff. Some people, you know, they go camping and you see their camping set and they've got – we we did a couple of nights camping up at Lake um, – there's a big lake here where they do the rowing practice from Lake Barrington and we stayed up there for a couple of nights. And the people, some people up there were camping and they had a satellite dish with them and I was like, you've completely missed the point of, <laughs> of, of what's going on here, you know. So – We just like going out of the bush. We just light a fire, maybe put some music on. And um, the fire is like your bush TV. You know, you can, if you've ever got a fire going, you can sit around and watch the fire burn for hours. Really simple cooking stuff. We love it. We love it. We love getting away. If we can take the dogs, it's even better. I love getting away to these places. And there's so many little secluded places in Tasmania that people don't even know about. You know, We, we often go up to, uh, the Highland country in Tassie. I love the Highland country that often gets snowed in up there. You can wake up and open your swag up and you're covered in snow. And yeah, that's fun. I love that. It's a good bit of an adventure for us. We, we love traveling and we love finding new places. So when we go camping, you know, sometimes we won't, we won't even have a destination of where we're going in mind. We'll just go, well, let's just go find a spot, drive up the West coast or drive up the East coast and find a, find a beach, find a camp spot and set up for the night
2: that beauty that is staying awake till the embers of the fire start appearing at about two in the morning. You just doze off and you wake up in the morning. The warmth is still coming off that fire. It's just amazing when you can do that.
3: It's amazing. It's so beautiful, you know, and last time we went camping, it was a really warm night at Cloudy Bay and we've got a big double swag and it's kind of like a tent, but It's all canvas, but it was such a nice warm night. I actually opened the swag right up and just laid down. We just looked at the fire burn when woke up at sunrise and it was uh, just a couple of really little embers going and, you know, I love that. You just get it going again and cook your breakfast on it and away you go to the next spot. There's something very beautiful about that.
2: It's like a retuning of the body clock as well. That's what I find anyway.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I love that too because being a musician, i such late, I'm often not finishing a gig till midnight and the time you wind down and have a shower, you know, often three in the morning before I go to sleep, you know. So I get myself in a really late-night cycle. So it's good to go away and do that. And you can't help it. You're up at six because the sun's up at six, you know. Yeah, that's really good. It's been an
2: absolute pleasure to speak with you, Tom Wolf. Thanks for joining Radio Notes.
3: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And, uh, man, we we went places I've never talked about. So thanks for letting me do it. I appreciate it, man.
1: Tom Wolf of the Wolf Brothers, latest single, No Breaks. They can be found online at Wolfbrothers.com.
0: It's a one-man band show, this particular one, but your feedback is always welcome. Radionotes at writeme.com. That's the email radionotes at writeme.com or across the socials, Radio Notes Podcast.
1: I feel like sometimes, like, the, uh, the release of emotion, it's not necessarily a bad thing. So I don't feel like, Brian, you often need me to hold you up. Like, it's not really that as much, but she I feel like she's just more, just a little bit more ready to shed a tear than me. But then when she does, like, we just hang out and like, I don't know, we kind of talk each other through everything. So it's not foreign to us to like. When you're a twin, you kind of feel like you, I know this sounds cliche, But you do sort of feel like you are one person in two bodies in a way. So it's like it's interesting, it's like having a conversation with yourself. Would you agree, Lana? Does that sound I don't know. that sounds a little bit creepy, but I think it's it almost feels like the two of you would make one person. But then we do have very different personalities. So that's it's like different sides of yourself almost. Yeah.
0: The twin sisters known as Fionn will be with us Just days from their release Everyone's a critic The latest from them out on 604 Records That's Fionn Next time Thanks very much to our feature guest Tom Wolf, For joining us from the Wolf Brothers
1: Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links Web Design There by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.